Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it has broadcast continuously for over 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show is also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. Dr. Elsie's is also the founding and continuing sponsor of my New York Cat Film Festival of which I am the founder and director along with the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which premiere in New York City every October and then travel the USA and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. Go to dogfilmfestival.com and catfilmfestival.com to find out when we'll be where. I was pretty excited when a book came across my desk called Pet Project, how a simple idea transformed the pet industry forever. And I thought, what simple idea was that? Oh, wait. Jim Darty created PetSmart. Hello. I never knew there was one man who said, I know, I'm going to change the pet industry and the way pet owners get to get stuff for their dogs and cats. Jim, you've written a wonderful book and you've gotten interviews with extraordinary people who have collaborated with you across the, the whole spectrum of your career. But I must tell you, it's an eye-opener. I kind of thought I knew what PetSmart was, but I really didn't understand how you, and to a great extent, your wife, built it from a tiny idea that was what we now, I think, refer to as a disruptor. You think that's right? How do you feel about having been a disruptor? It was definitely a disruptor. It, uh, uh, to the industry, to the customer, it was not a disruptor. It was a, uh, it was a heaven. They, they had a place where you would be exposed to products that they'd never seen right. at a grocery store before. So, uh, so absolutely. But, but, but what it comes across in the book, and you're very good at showing where things were when you set out to get some just basically basic dog and cat foods into a larger space and maybe add some toys and some other items, but get people out of the grocery store as the only place they could find dog food. I think what what's happened, Jim, and I'm sure you've seen it yourself, I mean, you grew the company into I mean, extraordinary, extraordinary, huge behemoth of a company. But some of us who've maybe only been in the pen industry 15, 20 years, 
we understood that the big box stores, PetSmart and to a lesser extent Petco, were kind of a threat to small retail operations, what are referred to as the brick and mortar or mom and pop stores. But there were so many places in America where there were no, were no such stores. And for people to have access to all of the various things that were being made and weren't even yet made when you started PetSmart in one place was an idea that everyone told you would fail, didn't they? Because you were buying directly from the manufacturers and bypassing a kind of the middleman, which had kept everything on a grocery store shelf. Is, is that about right? Well, yeah, it, it's exactly right. The, the pet industry prior to PetSmart, now I actually started another one before PetSmart called PetSmart Supermarket. Yes. It was owned by Universal Feed. They were a distributor, so it was easy to get product. They could flow it through the distributor and bring it to us. We had two two large stores in, in one in Las Vegas, one in Phoenix. But the pet industry really didn't, didn't concentrate on selling food. They, they, have, they had pets and they were selling pets. And quite frankly, the stores weren't attractive to go into. At that time, they're really good now, but they, but they didn't then. So what we do, we go to Sammy as a, as a report that comes down to the grocery store, and we'd find out what populations that, that were out there that we could put a store up that were selling a lot of dog food. The problem we have is nobody would sell to us because we, and I understand why they wouldn't, because we were disrupting their That's chain. Right. So That's a, right. So a manufacturer, he would get a visit from the distributor. There was a large one in California, the distributor, and say, look, if you sell to them, you're losing all the accounts that we have. So what we would do, <laughs> we, would, we would go outside of the market. Uh, I got to be careful here. <laughs> Outside the market, not get anybody in trouble. And we would uh, order truckloads of food and, and and whatever the product was, and we would push forward because we knew we wouldn't survive if we if we didn't buy direct. So we were diverting it, and we also knew that once we got our volume up, that we'd be buying we'd be buying more product than distributors are. And we, and to this day we do. So, so the challenge was in there and that meant death threats on the phone and, you know, all the typical stuff that goes with it. But, uh, hang on, Jim, death threats are not typical. Okay. For people in retail. So let's really talk about how dramatically revolutionary what you were doing was. Your idea was to get, you weren't even aiming high in terms of quality. You just wanted to get pet food along with other items directly to consumers who could come into a big, not necessarily the most glamorous space, but a place they could come with their dogs anyway and their kids and kind of like a fair, if you will. I mean, when you first invented it, this didn't exist. There were small cramped pet stores and not a lot of them. And they could only carry a few items because they were small and they only had a few shelves. And so they kind of had a monopoly on things. There wasn't a lot of choice. To get death threats is pretty dramatic. That's why I think what you did is revolutionary and was really brave. And your wife did it with you too. And there, as you point out in the book, it's only the 1990s and you're talking about there were no cell phones. You were using a fax to place an order. Computers, what's a computer? There were no, you know, scanning codes for for checkout. That only existed in grocery stores, not in other stores. We... Everyone has such a short memory. They think something's always been around. I think, well, PetSmart's always been around. And in the same way that Amazon was originally viewed as 
a terrible threat to brick-and-mortar small bookstores. I think you remember that, right? I mean, that was, yeah. as an author, yeah. and the daughter of an author is like, oh, my God, they're going to destroy book selling and book even buying and even book distribution because they're going to – but that was not – they started out with only books, but that clearly is not the only thing they do. And I'm sure there were threats and even people who wound up failing in their stores because of, at some point, the big box, which also included Barnes & Noble and Brentano's, companies that themselves have gone out of business. You look at PetSmart, it's bigger and stronger, more vibrant than ever because you had this vision of being there for people. And then as a, the book is so interesting. Anyone interested in business, it's fascinating. At one point, you became ill and somebody else took over and began to expand into the United Kingdom and expanded into equine products, Stateline Tech. I remember I used to buy it. It was like cheap horse stuff. Good, but cheap. It went in a uh -huh. direction that wasn't your vision. And the company was teetering on the brink of, of destruction. And you and the couple of people that you started with, including your wife, brought it back to its roots. I think there's something about... The, the core value of PetSmart that you brought to it, which I didn't know. I just think of it as a big, rich, powerful company. But it was the brainchild of one man with a vision, and everyone told you you couldn't do it and tried to stop you from doing it. And you were there consumer-oriented. You wanted something better for the consumer. I, I really genuinely believe that is what you wanted. I mean, you'd, you're such a genuine person on the page I have to believe that's what you wanted. You didn't even walk away with, you know, some gigantic golden parachute or whatever the heck they call it, right? I mean, at right. some point you mentioned that you you did you uh, you created something and accomplished an extremely lofty goal and then because you got ill, you stepped away and then of course you wound up doing another business when your illness got cured. But do you do you understand how brave you must have been? When you look back, you don't talk about you're so not self-aggrandizing in the book. Did you have a sense of how bold and brave you were? You were like a warrior almost. <laughs> well, no, I really don't ever look at myself that way. But I will tell you who the warriors are. We couldn't hire anybody within the pet industry because it would carry that culture over at that time. It was a $6 billion industry. Uh, when we started and what's a hundred some billion now, but the key was we would hire people and try as much as we could to hire people that had pets. Yes, We could train them. And, and I'm going to tell you, we would always say, we're going to grow and you're going to be promoted up. Uh, it, it, it is the help that really built the company. We could get the customer in, but you know, we couldn't talk to everyone. It, it was so busy so fast. We couldn't talk to everybody, uh, so we could get manufacturers. At that time, it was Neutral Science Science and, and IMS, uh, and we'd say, hey, look, we're going to bring in that customer that wants to upgrade, They're shopping at a grocery store. It's your job to try to convert them over a period of time. Don't try to do it in a half hour. Right. I mean, we've all been in those situations. You walk away. Uh, so, so I think there's just been a tremendous amount of help and some – back then – if somebody helped us, uh, and there's some big companies that are big com companies now that were small then that helped us, and they got blackballed. 
So yes, it was a very it was a very touchy thing, and you had to you had to connect with like people. They said earlier, like people that could see the future, and there was a, a handful of them out there. And I think I, I know I mentioned them in the book because they're very close friends now. But uh, I yeah I you know I really like the fact that when you're talking to me, I know you've read the book because you took you picking some really good things out of there. Well, so, I yeah, did really uh, read the book. I mean, and I and I read it as a like a primer on how to turn business on its ear. I mean, at one point, you even referenced Bill Gates, how he didn't even actually invent an idea 100% out of whole cloth. He just took an idea, turned it on its ear, improved it, shined it up, and then went forward with that, right? I mean, it's yes. yours is different, though, because I don't think he had anybody breathing down his neck or telling people that wanted to do business with him that they'd never they'll you'll never work in this business again i mean that's sort of what people were told and yet there was something in your personality in i don't know it just seems this all american can do spirit it, weirdly enough david against goliath and yet now i perceive i think the world perceives pet smart as goliath but you were david making making this idea into a reality and the obstacles were not just the ordinary ones. It was kind of like, I don't want to say the mafia, because that's a dumb word that doesn't really mean much out of context. But there was a core that was running the industry that didn't want it disrupted and didn't want business to be different. And they went out of their way to, to see do everything they could to stop you in your tracks. I think what gives the great perspective in the book and what I learned so much from is how many people you did business with as colleagues or the people at Neutro who eventually sold to you, and they get to get to say their piece in the book. They talk about what it was like. They talk about that transition time when people were seeing things anew. It's very important that we understand history and that we respect how somebody got successful or got popular or did something that we just accept. It's like Petsmark's always been there, right? The thing you don't talk, and of course it hasn't. You created it and the two stores were a huge burden to you. You and your wife, you, your office was kind of, you know, some storage area in the back. You had one sort of computer that belonged to your wife and maybe somebody could borrow it. It was, it was so like old-fashioned, you know, like Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland, we've got a barn, we'll put on a show. No matter what anybody else said, I I just love that about the book. I love that about you. I love that about the story. One thing I, unless I missed it, and it was very subtle, you don't talk about the rivalry between PetSmart and Petco, and is that by choice? Well, no. You know, I'm a native of San Diego, and, and PetSmart, uh, Petco at that time had one store in La Mesa, California, and they had a mail order house up in the Grossmont Shopping Center area. Uh, so they were not, in fact, when I did the second store for Petford Soup Mart, and I don't know who the CEO is, but he came out to visit our big store and he tried to lure me back to San Diego and I, I stuck, I mean, it was very tempting because it's just a lot of hard work starting up. This is before PetSmart. Uh, they only had a handful of stores. I think when Jerry Machado uh, sold his company to Petco, I think it was like, hundred stores or something like that. Then they started growing a little bit. Uh, and I, I tried to get, uh, a, some 
top people at Petco. I, I, I probably shouldn't mention her name, but I had uh, to interview, and I did interview them, but they were so um, they were so negative and down on everything. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> and what year would this down. be? What year was this, Jim? Early. That was in 1980. Well, I started in 79 with the other company, and we started PetSmart and started working on it in 84. We opened the first two stores in 86 or 87. It's interesting. So it's, uh, you wanted people to work with you who had your kind of can-do, upbeat, we can make something better. We can make a better mousetrap, if you will. And you wanted to hire employees when the time came who didn't have to know anything about the pet industry. They just had to really have a pet they loved. And share that with the customers. Those are kind of unique ideas in business. You know, absolutely. you know, you're not saying where's your MBA from Harvard. It's like, who are you as a human? Who are you? Do you want to come <laughs> do this crazy idea with us? Because we're going to make it happen. But you kind of got to strap yourself in because it's going to be kind of a bumpy ride. I, I think it's really extraordinary. Yeah, you got to love pets. I mean, that's, that's the key. If they love pets and the customer connects with that, and I'm a cu customer advocate big time, uh, the customer connects with that, uh, and then they, they wind up coming back. Uh, let me, one, one last story on before we move too much further. So the, in the pet industry, we have two main trade shows, which Super Zoo and, and Global Pet. Yep. Global Pet at that time was strictly manufacturer and distributors. But I knew I had to get in that building and I had to talk, the people I needed to talk to were all in one place. So I would, I would get in, I would sneak through the back door. I love it. Actually, I, love I, it. I do, I do remember that the security guard there was a former Marine. So we would talk our Marine stuff a little bit. Thank and God then, you uh, had that, and right? He, uh, and I, I would meet everybody down when they're setting the booth up and, and talk with them and spread the word. I'm not well, well known at that time, but, and they would kind of say, yeah, we kind of heard about it because there, there was basically a, a conspiracy. And I could, when I say that, I understand why they did what they did, but they have to understand why I did what I did. So, so then I go up on the, the floor. If somebody wanted to talk to me, they'd turn the chair so my back was on the aisle and nobody would see who they were talking to. And then I'd get something across the PA system and say, Jim Doherty, come to the front, please. And oh. I'd go up there and they'd kick me out and I'd go back down and I'd come in. I, love I did it. that for about three, year, about three years and then they started inviting retailers and all that. So, uh, And I, I guess the mindset at that time wasn't big enough for the customers. The mindset was very small. Uh, and the customers were, I mean, if you would look to the grocery with it, what they were selling in dog food, it was mind boggling. Uh, and that still is today. I mean, I would do things different. A lot of people do today. The high end food, they need to have a, a middle of the road food in to get that customer in the door. But, uh, I've, uh, yeah, just I so you know, anyway. not that it's relevant cause you, you don't own PetSmart anymore. So you aren't going to hire me, but I've always believed that and I've been this pet foodie person from day one when I was researching the dog Bible and, and the cat Bible. But I've come around, and people know listening, that I've been a believer and a promoter for a long, long time, that you feed what you can afford to feed. 
And it's not an ivory tower where it's so precious and every single thing that went into the bag or the can has to have had a good life and, you know, never touched a chemical and it's all pure as the driven snow. Nobody feeds themselves or their human children that way and because it's unaffordable and also almost unfindable. So the people that find those super high premium foods, good for them, makes them feel good. Uh, they're, they can afford it. They don't, you know, use up the children's milk money doing it. But a middle-of-the-road food, a food that's good enough, just like being a parent, you can be good enough, is good enough. And I think that's one thing about PetSmart is that you go, from the beginning, I'm talking about it from the beginning. Now I can't really speak to the difference between that and a smaller store and everything's gone online with Chewy and so forth. But the idea that you could come in and not be shamed for going directly to the kind of supermarket type brand or ingredients. It's okay, right? Yeah. I mean, if that's fine. What we want, Maybe the people in the store, the people that came in with Neutro, which was very interesting when you talked about that in the book, because those of us who first started being aware of super premium foods, which weren't called super then. Neutro was the first brand we ever heard of, and IAMS was the second. Right. That was it. You're absolutely right. You know, I, I, haven't, I love the way you think. We, we, we think like, you, sometimes you don't, you have to stay in your budget. Yes. You stay in your budget for the, for the whole family. The best That's part right. of the family, stay in the budget. And the, 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 the problem is when I was talking to somebody, I wanted to get in the book that had a, a chain of stores. They were have $150 bag of dog food. And I asked him, I said, well, how are you going to get customers in? How are you going to return customers? And he said, well, these people go on dog walks and they're going to talk. I said, do you know there's about 10 million people shopping dog food across the United States? And I said, why wouldn't you get a middle road? No, well, I'm going to tell you probably within the last month that particular chain has put middle road in because that's because you die right you now. die with only selling you know Dior shoes when somebody just wants Keds, you know. Let me just put on some Keds and go for a walk. I don't need to wear high heels from Christian Dior. It's sort of like that, you know. In the end of the day, dogs do really well on almost any well balanced food that's you know got the nice balance of stuff in it that it's supposed to have. I, I think that I, I think that that kind of we should wrap up. But I just I love talking to you. I love discovering that the man behind the store that's seen as kind of a threat to all the fancier, smaller, more boutiquey kind of stores, which, as you point out, used to be kind of small and smelly and dark and gloomy, and now they're gorgeous and probably in response to what you created at PetSmart. They're really stylish, and they have beautiful wooden vats of marvelous chew things, you know, that look like you're in a farm store or something. I just think what, what you did and how you did it is a story that everyone needs to know. I, I really admire you. I think if you had another life to live and you went in a different industry, you would have done the same thing. You would have just seen you would have had a vision and just been a rocket that whoever wanted to be in your contrail could come. And it's a great force of nature, Jim Doherty, and you've written a really wonderful book in which everybody gets credit. It is the, the least me, me, me book I ever read by somebody who really deserves a huge pat on the back. So congratulations on, on your book, Pet Product Project. I think you've done an incredible job. should be required reading in every business school. That's what I think. You are an amazing businessman and obviously a great pet lover. Thank you for everything you've you've created in the pet industry to make it a better place for all of us who love our animals. Thank you, Tracy. It's been an honor.
I hope you enjoyed the show. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, No Hide, and the hybrid dry food, Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaraner Maisie will eat. The show is also brought to you in part by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients to gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. My dogs love it every single day.